Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them. And I hope you will, too. Well, y'all, today I've got part two of Nettie Okorafor's story, Mother of Invention. It's part of a three-part series I'm doing, and next week I will sit down with Nettie herself to talk about how she crafted the future in this story and some other stuff. If you didn't listen to part one, please check out last week's episode to get caught up. Now, when we left off, our protagonist... Anwuli was actively in labor with no one but her smart house, OB3, to help her. She had stubbornly decided not to leave New Delta before the next pollen storm hit, even though her doctor had warned her that she was deathly allergic and would risk her life by doing so. She's been abandoned by her friends and family, not to mention the father of her child. For now, she's pushed all of that down and away, and she's bringing a child into the world. Please check out the content advisory in the written episode description if you are so inclined. And if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. Begin. Mother of Invention by Nettie Okorafor, Part 2. She'd been crying for nine months. And she cried for yet another ten minutes, and then another contraction hit. And she forgot everything. As the minutes passed and the contractions became faster and faster, she didn't remember where the pillow came from that propped her up or how her legs held themselves apart. What she did recall was the window across from her shattering as a palm tree fell through it. She remembered the wind and rain blowing into OB3, filling it with the heat and humidity from outside. Tree leaves, new and dry, slapped against the couch onto the floor, but no peri flowers were blown in. Those were strong, like men. They didn't even lose petals in the worst wind. Built to survive and reproduce, not to keep from killing us, she vaguely thought. She couldn't help but note the irony. Plant fertilizer was going to kill her as she was giving birth. Her face grew damp with sweat and rain. As she gave the great push that thrust her first child into the world, the storm outside exhausted itself to a hard rain. The coming of her child felt like her body submitting after a battle. The sharp pain peaked and then retreated. And that is how the first to carry her squirming daughter was not a human being, 
but a drone, using a plastic scooper as its long, sharp knife cut the cord. When the drone placed the child in Anwali's hands, she looked down at her daughter's squashed, agitated face. For several moments, she stared, unmoving. Don't you want to cry? She asked the snuffling infant. The baby said, turning her head this way and that. Anwuli found herself smiling. She poked her daughter's little cheek. The moment she felt the baby's softness, Anwuli began to weep. She touched the baby again, running a finger delicately across the baby's cheek to touch her lips. Immediately, her child began to suck her finger. She's breathing strongly already, Obi-3 said. Maybe she does not need to cry. Miri, Anwali said, holding the child to her. I'll name you Imiri. What do you think, Obi-3? Miri means water in the Igbo language, Obi-3 said. Anwali laughed. Okay, but do you approve? You do not need my approval to name your child. But I would like it, if you think to give it. There was a pause. Then Obi-3 said, How about giving her the middle name, Storm? Storm was the American Kenyan superheroine from Marvel Comics. She could control the weather and fly. Anwali's eyebrows rose. Mmm, wow, she said. Miri Storm Okur Kenye, then. I approve. The house glowed a soft lavender color that turned the ceiling a deeper sky blue as Anwali stared up at it. Miri Storm Okur Kenye. Anwuli breathed again, looking at her new daughter, who smelled like the earth. Bloody, coppery, yeasty, hers. She held on to this beautiful thought, and the sound of her daughter snuffling as the pains of expelling the afterbirth came. When this was over, she slumped on the couch, watching the drone take away the bloody mass. She already felt much better. Then she sneezed, and her eyes grew itchy. No, she whispered. Baby Miri decided it was time to start wailing. The rain had stopped, and the sun was already peeking through the retreating clouds. She sneezed again, and the house drone flew to her a clean orange towel now draped over its scooper. Anwali put her daughter into it and was racked by a sneeze again. She sat up, surprised by how okay she felt. The second drone flew up beside her carrying a glass of water and her bottle of antihistamine tablets. Hurry, take three, Obi-3 said. Maybe there is nothing to be helped now, Anwali blurted. 
looking at the shattered window. Already, what looked like smoke was wafting into the house. Soon visibility outside would be zero, and it would last for the next 24 hours. I'm a dead woman. No one had predicted weather patterns shifting. This is why scientists were calling the occasional spontaneous variation in weather patterns climate chaos instead of climate change. That's what they'd recently been saying on the news, anyway. The pollinating grass was genetically staggered to release pollen at three separate times during the year, with one-third of the grass pollinating in each period. However, over the last 20 years, an unexpected shift in the length of the dry, cool Harmattan season had scrambled that timing causing the pollination periods of all three groups to align. The immense wealth made from peri production went directly to the Nigerian government and to the Chinese corporations who'd invested so deeply in Nigeria for decades and next to nothing went to New Delta, much in the same way it had when the greatest resource had been oil. For this reason, the initially lovely city that was New Delta began to deteriorate, and the Chinese and Nigerian governments paid less attention to the pollination misalignment. News of pollen allergies had become nationally known only when Ize Uzere set in during the last two years, but only because the way it killed was so spectacular. And this year, rainy season had been particularly wet. I'm dead, Anwali muttered, using all the effort she could muster to get up. She threw her legs off the couch, planting them on the floor. Ignoring the blood soaking her bottom through the drenched towels, she pressed her fists to the cushions on both sides of her. Then she lifted herself up. The pain was far less than she expected, and she froze for a moment glad to be on her feet. Standing, she whispered, her nose now completely stuffed and her eyes still watering. She sniffed wetly. Her insides felt as if they would plop out between her legs onto the blood-spattered carpet. But they didn't. She touched her deflated belly. Then she sneezed so hard that she sat back down. In the kitchen, Her baby was crying as the drone put her in a tub of water to wash her off. Anwuli pulled herself up again and took a step toward the kitchen, but as she took another, her chest grew stiff. She wheezed. She couldn't tell if the room was blurry because it was full of pollen or because of her watering eyes or the fact that she could barely take in enough oxygen. Then she was falling. As she lay on the floor, she heard OB3 talking to her, but she didn't understand. Her baby was crying, and if she could smile, she would have, because her baby was not sneezing. Then she closed her eyes, and it was as if the world around her was breaking. The floor shook, and Anwali heard the walls cracking, shifting, crumbling. 
Her nose was too stuffed for her to smell anything, but she could feel pollen coating her tongue and blood seeping from between her legs. Things went black for a while. Emiri's cries faded away and stopped. The noise of things breaking became a low hum. The shaking stopped. Anwali must have slept. She sneezed hard and wheezed, cracking her gummy eyes open. Everything was a blur until she blinked. She gasped. Then she realized that she could gasp, and the room was suddenly warm, like outside. She blinked several more times, wiped her eyes, and then just stared at where the broken window had been. Her daughter began weakly crying. The makeshift cradle the drone had began to rock gently, and Emiri quieted a little. Still staring, but slowly sitting up, Anuli said, Bring her here. She took the baby into her arms as she stared at what looked like a smooth, shiny metal wall, so shiny that she could see the entire living room reflected in it. She remembered these metal sheets. Obi-3 had asked for her to order them weeks ago. Something clanged, and the wooden wall beside the metal wall buckled in a bit. She turned and looked down the hall toward the front door, and there she saw another metal wall blocking the view of outside. What? Did you do something? she asked. In her arms, baby Amiri squirmed and nestled closer to her. I did, Obi-3 said. Do you like it? Air was blowing near the ceiling, the Nigerian flag hanging from a bookshelf flapping, and for the first time, Anwali noticed something. The vent grate was gone, and the air duct inside was a shiny aluminum, not the dull steel. She pointed, What is that? I built a duct to filter pollen from the air. Anwali glanced at the air duct again, and then she looked around the room. Then she looked back at the air duct. She sneezed, but doing so cleared the snot from her nose. She wiped her face with her sleeve and sat on the towel of blood, the coppery, yeasty smell of birth floating around her. Four months, OB-3 had requested things, had it been since before Bio left? Anwali couldn't remember. She hadn't been paying attention. The last nine months had been crying, shouting, back-turning. Embarrassing. Swollen ankles. The day she was in the supermarket and all those women had pointed at her belly and laughed. Swelling body. Her parents ignoring her in church. Wild cravings, running to her self-driven car after turning a corner and walking right into Bio's wife. The heightened pollen allergies, and she couldn't stop crying. And all that time, her house had been asking her to buy things. It would put the items on her phone's grocery list. Nails, sheets of metal, piping, plaster, 
tool parts, and, yes, two air ducts. She'd hear banging on the sides of OB-3, sawing, creaking. But who could care about repairs OB-3 made to itself when her life had fallen into disrepair? Who could care about anything else? What have you done? After a long pause, OB-3 said, Please, can you walk? OB-3? Yes? What have you done? She demanded. Go to your room, please, OB-3 said. I will tell you, but please take baby Emiri Storm to your bed. The pollen outside just increased. I can't. It's time for phase two, or you will die. Anwul Lee got up. This time, doing so was more painful. She bent forward. Take her, she gasped. I can't. The drone swept up, and as gently as she could, shaking with pain that broiled from her uterus and radiated to every part of her body, she took a step. She felt blood trickling down her leg. I should wash. Can... Yes, but use the towel beside the bed to wipe it for now, and just get into bed. Why? Anwali asked, stumbling to the back of the couch and then into the hallway, to her room. She leaned against the wall as she stiffly walked. There's no time, Obi-3 said. She took more steps. Talk to me, she said. It'll help distract. Yeah, oh my God, this hurts. It feels like my intestines are being pulled down by gravity. She stopped, leaning against the wall, panting. Talk to me, Obi-3. Tell me a recipe? Recite some poetry, something? You are 0.8 kilometers from the center of New Delta. Tell me what you did to yourself and why. She shut her eyes for a moment and took a deep breath. Just pushed out baby. Pain is just from that. I'm okay. I'm okay. I've listened to you, Obi-3 said. One day you said you wished someone would protect you like you protected the baby. Anwali remembered that night. She'd been unable to sleep and thus had stayed up all night thinking and thinking about all the weeks of being alone. Scared. She hadn't been talking to OB-3, nor the baby. She'd just talked to herself to hear her own voice. Maybe she'd been praying. You were speaking and asking, OB-3 continued. I did my own research and then engineered my plans, it said. I had answers. Every smart home watches the news, its central person, and its environment. Nearly one-third of all pregnant women 
will develop an allergy they have not previously suffered from. And the allergies they already have tend to get worse. You have always had bad allergies. Also, remember the day your stupid, useless man left. You turned off my filter because he liked to have it on. At this, Anmuli snorted a laugh, and she felt blood gush from her privates and a pang of pain strong enough to make her stumble. She'd been brash. No one turned off a home's filter, not after all the incidents of smart homes being too nosy and intrusive. Ah, uh, so you predicted I'd get Ize Uzere? Yes, Obi-3 said. I used formal logic. Then you decided to find a way to protect me? Yes. I invented a way. Then I built my invention. Necessity is the mother of invention, Anwali said with a weak smile. Wow. The technology harbors a personal god. <laughs> my chi is a smart home. She laughed, and her body ached, but a good ache. I have decided to call it a protective egg, Obi-3 said. Is this all right? Anwali frowned for a moment, and she shrugged. It's kept me and baby alive. Watching you inspired me. Your body protects your baby. Steel-plated, impervious exterior, an air filter. It paused and Anwali frowned. Tell me all of it, she demanded, entering her room. Oh, she said. Here, the window wall in front of her bed had mostly been fortified with metal, except for about three by three feet of it. And outside, a blizzard of bright orange fluff thick enough to mute the midday Nigerian sunshine. Never, ever had the pollen been so thick. Towels had been placed on the bed and beside it. Anwali grabbed one, wiped her legs, and then pressed it to herself. No use hiding it from me now, she said. We are in this together, no? We have been for months. Is this why you haven't tried so hard to get me to leave? Yes. Anwali chuckled, tiredly. Interesting. <laughs> so interesting. As Anwali laid herself on the bed, Obi-3 told her all about what it called Project Protective Egg. And then, as she clutched Emiri in her arms, watching her death swirl about outside, the entire house began to rise up. Obi-3 had rebuilt its own steel cushioning beams used to support it above the Delta Swamp floor into three powerful legs. I can take us beyond the tsunami before the filters are overwhelmed, Obi-3 said. If we can make it that far, there is no perigrass in Abuja. As it walked, the room gently rocking, Obi-3 hummed the song Anwali's mother always hummed when she cooked. 
Anwuli, rested on the pillow the drone had pushed beneath her head, held Emiri closer to her and hugged herself. Yes, Obi-3 was like an extension of herself, like part of my immune system who has just saved my life, she thought, staring at the window. Or my chi? Anwu Lee hoped Obi-3 crushed the hell out of as much perigrass as it could on the way out of town, and maybe the house of her ex-fiancé, if they weren't home. Baby Emiri Storm cooed in her arms. Two miles away, Bio sat in his study frowning as he looked out at the whirling pollen through the room's triangular corner window. He was still thinking about Anwuli, praying she was not dead. If she had finally decided to leave the house, she was out there in that pollen storm right now. He shook his head, frowning. Please let this woman be alive. Please, oh, be konu, holy ghost fire, laminate her life for protection in the name of Jesus. His wife was in the kitchen making peri cakes and fried fish, but he didn't dare look at his mobile phone let alone make a call on it. The house was listening. Almost every aspect of its mechanisms tuned to his wife's preferences because it was she who spent the most time here. Maybe I should have stayed home more, he thought. At the same time, he wished today weren't his day off. Even with the noise of his sons and daughter playing in the living room, he knew he couldn't call Anwuli. And if he got up to leave when the pollen passed, there would be trouble. Suddenly, the entire house rumbled. Then it began to shake, and the children screamed. As Bio jumped up, he could feel it. The house was rising. And that's when it all dawned on him, a horrid sense of doom settling on his shoulders. His wife, not only had she known of Anwuli all along, but so had their house, Obi-Wan, and neither his wife nor her house was the type to easily let things go. Shit, he said. Why did I make these goddamn smart homes so smart? He heavily sat down on the couch and held on for dear life. So here's the thing. At the end of this story, we have Bio left sitting on his couch, aware that the house has loosed its moorings and is getting up. But my question is, where is it going? Is it going after 
Anwuli and OB3 is his wife now out for revenge, directing OB1 to intercept OB3 and wreak havoc on Anwuli's life and that of her newborn baby. It's not really clear, which I love. Nettie leaves us kind of hanging. And that's okay. The relationship that Anwuli has with this house and how it develops once she clues in to the importance of what's happening in her life. In the beginning of the story, she's just sort of on autopilot, right? But then it kicks in. She's having a baby, and it's as if she hasn't given it much thought at all. And once she does, that motherhood instinct just kicks in. And we know by the end of the story, she is going to be an awesome mom. That, that thing, that, that instinct, that powerful imperative to protect life kicks in. And it's interesting to me that, that Nettie imparts that same imperative to OB3 to protect life, even when Anwuli was unaware of the need to prepare to protect this life. Obi-3 was listening to her when she was talking, and Nettie says maybe even when she was praying. And the relationship between the two, when it crosses over from just an AI learning about his primary, right? At one point in the story, it goes from learning to loving. When OB3 really begins to make decisions on behalf of Anwuli, that's when I get hooked. Because I really believe that as we develop this technology, there is an at least a chance for us that these algorithms will not only take on personalities, but the idea that they might take on something akin to emotions intrigues me. You know, we, we talked a lot on Star Trek about Data's sentience, right? And um, even though Data had a, a chip that when inserted, delivered his emotionality, if that's a word. Um, the idea of, of him being sentient and AI robots um, being, developing human traits, right? Love, compassion. Um, I don't know, it just seems to fascinate us as humans. Perhaps it's, you know, that old making things in our own image that continues to come up for human beings. <sighs> it, it tickles me that 
Smart House, the Disney Channel original movie that I directed back in 1999, 20-plus years ago. Um, and, and smart houses are a thing now. I mean, with smart appliances in them and, and, and AI that, that learns your patterns and, you know, can take that leap of intuition or information and, and you know, perform tasks in advance of you asking. This is all here now. I mean, you know, not everybody is running around singing, jump, jump, the house is jumping. <laughs> but still, I think, you know, AI is here to stay. And whether it develops into being um, a help or a hindrance or a menace in our lives, this all has yet to be seen. Well, join me next week when we have an opportunity to talk to the author of Mother of Invention, the one and only Nnedi Okorafor. Nnedi is without question one of my favorite authors right now, and I am so excited to sit down with her next week. Join us for that conversation. Nnedi Okorafor, next week, right here on LeVar Burton Reads. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith, the best in the business, y'all. And we have a new researcher this season. That's Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. And our editing and sound design is by the extraordinary Brendan Burns. My thanks today to Nettie Akorafor for allowing me to read her story. You can find it in the anthology Future Tense Fiction. She recently published her first novel for middle grade readers called Ikenga, about a boy who can access superpowers with the help of the mystical Ikenga. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please recommend an episode to a friend who you think might enjoy it. You can also leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And why not include a story suggestion for us? We love them. We read them. We use them. And if you would prefer to listen to episodes ad-free and listen to exclusive bonus author interviews, you can do that on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon, Josephine Maharana, she's the boss, and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVarBurton.com. I will see you all next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. 